This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by Quince. Quince has transformed how I shop. I'm not gonna lie, I don't love paying extravagant prices for things that don't last. But imagine upgrading your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. They offer things like a 100% Mongolian cashmere sweater for $50, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Basically what they do is partner with the top factories. That cuts out the cost of the middleman. That way they can pass on the savings to us. And what I really love is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I have a ton of stuff from Quince. Right now I'm really on a mission to just have some great basics in my closet. So I picked up a lot of t-shirts, some tank tops, and I definitely got a 100% mulberry silk pillowcase. It is absolutely worth it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash justice. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of 20-month-old Ayla Reynolds. According to Ayla's father, Justin, on December 16th, 2011, he put her to bed at 8 p.m., and when he woke up, she was gone. Justin and his family are convinced that Ayla was abducted. However, law enforcement quickly dispelled this theory and accused Justin and those in the house the night Ayla went missing of knowing more than they're sharing with investigators. Despite some pretty damning evidence, years of fighting and lawsuits, and this quite literally becoming the largest search for a missing person in the history of the state of Maine, Ayla's case remains unsolved. This case was suggested to me during one of my TikTok lives, so I have to give a huge shout out to my TikTok family. If you don't follow me on TikTok, I do try to go live over there at least once a week. So if you ever want to chat with me or give me a case suggestion live, you can find me under Sarah E. Turney. Over on TikTok, you can also find video recaps of some of the cases I discuss here, as well as other cases I've come across on social media. But let's get into it. This is the case of Ayla Reynolds. Ayla Bell Reynolds was born on April 4th, 2010, to her parents Trista Reynolds and Justin DiPietro. Ayla's pregnancy wasn't planned, and Justin and Trista never really had a relationship together. As far as I could find, there was never a formal custody agreement for Ayla, but Trista was the primary caregiver. Trista and Ayla lived in Portland, Maine, while Justin lived with his mother Phoebe and sister Alicia about 75 miles away in Waterville, Maine. Around the time of Ayla's first birthday, Trista began drinking heavily. By October 2011, she decided she needed help and checked herself into a 10-day rehabilitation program in Lewiston. 
While Trista was in this program, the plan was for Ayla to stay with Trista's mother and sister. It seems that during this time, Justin or someone in his family called social services to report that Ayla was not with her mother. Ayla was removed from her grandmother's care and placed with Justin. According to the officer facilitating this transfer, Ayla was very upset. Trista says that as soon as she heard that Justin had custody of Ayla, she began fighting to get her back. Pretty soon, Ayla began coming back from Justin's house with bruises. He would say that these were just from playing with other kids, from horse playing, that type of thing. But there's a few times that really stood out to Trista. One is when Ayla came back with a lot of bruising all over her body. When she asked Justin what happened, he said that Ayla was in a ball pit at a Chuck E. Cheese and was fighting with some other kids. But Trista looked into it, and apparently that Chuck E. Cheese didn't even have a ball pit. Another disturbing incident for Trista is when Ayla suffered a pulled muscle in her leg. This appeared consistent with an aggressive diaper change. It would take a few weeks before Ayla could walk normally again. Trista did document and report these issues with social services, but no action was taken. According to Trista, Justin also began telling her that she was never going to see Ayla again. Then, on November 11, 2011, Ayla was taken to the emergency room. According to Justin, the night before, it was raining and dark. He was carrying groceries in one hand and had Ayla in his other arm. Justin told ABC News that typically he would let Ayla walk, but since it was dark, he decided to carry her. While he was walking up a short set of steps that led to his kitchen, he slipped and fell on top of Ayla. Justin says that she was fussy that day, but she seemed okay. It wouldn't be until the next day that it seemed apparent that she needed medical attention. The hospital determined that Ayla had a spiral fracture in her left arm. This is a twisting type of injury. I've seen some speculation about this. Some say that because it was a spiral fracture that is consistent with twisting, that Justin is lying, and that perhaps Ayla was grabbed violently by her arm. But according to Dr. David L. Holden at McBride Orthopedic Hospital, this type of injury can happen in a lot of different ways, including people running into each other, wrestling, bicycle accidents, and, quote, simply falling downstairs. Now, this is a serious and painful injury without a doubt, but I just wanted to set the record straight that it is possible that Justin falling on Ayla could result in a spiral fracture. However, this typically being such a painful injury, I do find it hard to believe that Ayla was just fussy as opposed to being in a lot of pain. But obviously, I wasn't there, so I just don't know. Ayla would end up getting a soft cast for this injury to be held with a sling. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by June's Journey. Everyone loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. In this game, you step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of your sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. I've been playing June's Journey for a long time. And yes, I love uncovering hidden objects in these really fun scenes, but I also like putting together the pieces of this puzzle. I've said it before and I'll say it again, one of my favorite parts of playing June's Journey is chatting and playing with or against, if I'm honest, usually I like playing against other players by joining a detective club. And if that's not enough for you, you can join a detective league to put your skills to the test. I am also 
deep into building my island. And I mean deep, you guys. I've been playing for a very long time and it's just really fun to see it grow. I usually find myself playing on little breaks during the day or at night before I go to bed. If you like games, if you like solving mysteries, I really think you're gonna like June's Journey. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Trista didn't know it at the time, but November 21st, 2011 is the last time she sees her daughter. On December 15th, she files paperwork to get full custody of her. According to Justin, December 16th was the last time anyone ever saw Ayla. It's difficult to know exactly what happened on December 16th, 2011, but the original story was that there were seven people inside of Justin's small home on Violet Avenue. Justin, Ayla, Justin's sister Alicia and her child, Justin's girlfriend Courtney and her child, and Justin's mother Phoebe. Everyone stayed the night. Phoebe, Alicia, her child, and Ayla stayed on the main floor, with Ayla specifically being in her own bedroom in her crib by herself. Though some reports do state that Ayla was with her cousin. Justin, his girlfriend, and her child all stayed in the partially finished basement where Justin slept. At approximately 8 p.m., Justin put Ayla to sleep in her crib. At about 10 p.m., Alicia came to check on Ayla and everything was fine. By the morning of Saturday, December 17th, Ayla was gone. Shortly before 9 a.m., Justin calls 911. The audio of this call has never been released, but I have seen the transcripts. Justin tells the operator that there were six people in the home that night. He makes no mention of his mother Phoebe being in the home. The operator patches Justin through to the Waterville Communications Center. They ask him when he last saw Ayla. Before he can finish his sentence, the call ends. Justin calls back at 8.56 a.m. telling the operator that his phone died. He says that he put Ayla in her crib at 8 p.m. and she was checked on at 10 p.m. At this point, Justin's phone dies again. The operator tries to call Justin back, but it goes right to voicemail. Justin does call back again and they establish that there's no way that Ayla could have gotten out of her crib. The police arrive at Justin's home shortly after this and the phone call ends. The police arrived fairly quickly and initially began searching the house in hopes of finding Ayla. They speak to Justin for a bit, who is adamant that Ayla was abducted. Soon after, law enforcement decides that they need to call in reinforcements to put a search together. By mid-morning, 20 to 25 people gather to search the neighborhood. By the afternoon, the Waterville PD requests help from other agencies to search for Ayla. This is absolutely one of those cases where it seems like all available resources were utilized. Since they had no information about a possible suspect or vehicle, an Amber Alert was never issued for Ayla. However, the Waterville PD utilized a system that called residents within a square mile of where Ayla went missing. The calls provided a description of Ayla as well as a phone number to call if anyone had seen her. On December 18th, the Maine Warden Service searches the Mesolonsky River. Now, I think that this is a good time to talk about the area where Ayla went missing from. Waterville, Maine is a small town with about 16,000 residents at this time. And like the name might suggest, it is surrounded by quite a bit of water. In fact, the next major road over from Justin's home does get very close to the Mesolonsky River. This flows into the Kennebec River. This river goes for miles in a few different directions and into a lot of other rivers that eventually go out into the ocean. 
so much of the search efforts for Ayla would be centered around bodies of water. On this same day, December 18th, there is a press conference to discuss the status of Ayla's case. They provide a brief overview of the circumstances surrounding Ayla's disappearance, and they add that the family has been very cooperative and forthcoming. They also state that the FBI is now involved in the search, and they aren't focused on any one particular area. This idea that the family was being cooperative, and that Ayla might have been taken, would begin to fall apart pretty quickly as police conducted a formal search on Justin's home, and as some of these stories would start to change. In the next few days, a lot would happen. Searches for Ayla continued with a heavy focus on the surrounding bodies of water. Justin's home was also searched. They towed two vehicles, removed hundreds of items from the home, and Prosecutor Bill Stokes was brought in to observe the scene for himself. The day after Christmas, a $30,000 reward was offered for information. This was the largest reward in state history. That same day, Police Chief Joseph Massey drops a bombshell on reporters when he tells them that they have completely eliminated the possibility that Ayla was abducted. Two days later, he would also publicly eliminate the idea that Ayla could have left the home by herself. So, Ayla wasn't abducted, and she didn't leave on her own. By the 30th, the Waterville Police Department announces that they believe foul play was involved in Ayla's case, and they hand it over to the Maine State Police, stating the case, quote, has evolved from the search of a missing child to a criminal investigation. The search efforts for Ayla were scaled back. Around this time, Trista and Justin would appear on national television separately to discuss Ayla's case. You will hear a few clips of Trista in this episode. In comparison, Justin has done very few interviews. But here's a clip from his very first interview with the Today Show. Justin, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. I thank you for having me. This is our first chance to speak to you publicly. Can you give us a sense why you're coming forward now? Uh, there's a few reasons why. Um, initially, the first few days, I was emotionally incapable of coming out to do an interview, and I had been advised that by coming on and, and doing an interview by, by law enforcement that it, it could possibly hinder the investigation, and I'm, I'm here to help in, in any way I can. Um, and by coming on here, it was in hopes of, of, of reaching out to the person that, that does have my daughter and to let them know that what you're doing isn't right. You may think what you're doing is right for Ayla, but it's not. You have no right. You're not her parent. She belongs home with her family. And Justin, as you just heard in the piece, police are now saying that they believe foul play is involved. What are investigators telling you about what happened, what they believe may have happened here? As far as I know, from that's just been a change in, in terminology. Um, as far as I know, we're, we're at the same place that we were at on day one with this. Can you tell us about the last time that you saw your little daughter? I know it's now more than two weeks ago. She was wearing, as it was described, uh, pajamas, polka dot pajamas. Her top said, Daddy's Little Princess. Tell us about that night. It was just a normal night. There was nothing. I, I put her to bed and just a, a normal night. 
A lot has been said about you, obviously, in the last couple weeks before we had a chance to speak to you directly. What do you think people should know about you and about your relationship to your little girl? Well, I can tell you what I'm not. I, I love my daughter. I, I would never do anything to harm my daughter. She's, she's the world to me. If we can ask you specifically, Ayla's mother, Trista, has been on this broadcast twice in the last couple weeks. She specifically questioned your parenting skills. It's even been raised the question of an arm injury that your daughter has. She said that she worried Ayla wasn't safe in your care. Your reaction to that? As far as I know, there was never any concerns. Um, she, we had both agreed that me having her at this point in time was, was the best thing for her. Trista had been in October uh, in rehab for substance abuse. Can you tell us specifically then about your daughter? Tell us what makes your daughter so special. She's my daughter. She's, she's my child. She's, she's my world. That's, she's everything to me. And Mr. DePetro, Justin, what do you hope happens now? What, what do you think is going to happen now? And what are you doing to help try to find her at this point? just want my daughter home. Um, I'm doing anything possible that I can to get my daughter home. Um, feels like a helpless situation at some points, but I'm, I'm doing, doing what I can. And it's part of the reason I'm coming on here today in hopes of reaching out to the person that does have her. Well, our thoughts are certainly with you and your entire family as you try to find your little girl. Justin DePietro, thanks very much. By mid-January, polygraph tests were administered. At first, Justin didn't discuss the results of his test, but he would later tell a local reporter that he smoked it. Trista would tell the public that she wasn't able to complete her initial polygraph test due to a medical condition. However, she would later declare that she passed a future test. By the end of January, we get another bombshell. This comes just hours before a balloons and bubbles vigil for Ayla the police announce that blood was found in the basement of Justin's home. They say that they need to do further testing, but it would later be determined to be Ayla's blood. They add that they believe the three adults in the home, quote, have not given us the full story. These are obviously huge developments. It's been about a month since Ayla went missing, and law enforcement is saying that she didn't wander off on her own. She wasn't abducted. There was blood found in the home and they don't think the three adults in the home that night are giving the full story. Now, did you catch that they said three adults instead of four? The original story given to the public was that Justin, his girlfriend Courtney, his sister Alicia, and his mother Phoebe were all in the home that night. Well, it turns out Justin's mother Phoebe wasn't actually there. She would later tell CNN that she did lie to the public to protect Justin and the investigation. She adds that law enforcement knew the truth all along. This is really interesting to me, because this plays into a theory I haven't discussed yet, and that's the theory that there was a party at the DePietro house the night before Ayla went missing. In Phoebe's initial statements to the media, she said that she was home that night, the doors were locked, and specifically that there was no party. Now, I wasn't able to find a lot of good, credible information about this alleged party the night before Ayla was reported missing, so I don't have much to tell you about it. But although this information leaves us with more questions than answers, there was no way I could leave it out. Was there a party that night? 
Could something have happened to Ayla during that alleged party? We just don't know. What we do know is that Phoebe lied about being in the home that night. We know that she denies the existence of any party, despite not even being there that night, and we know that Ayla's blood was found in the house. So, let's talk about that blood. Information about where the blood was found and how much of it was found would trickle out over time. But eventually, it would be determined that a lot of Ayla's blood was found pretty much all throughout the home. It was found on her favorite baby doll, her slippers, her car seat, in her bed, on a fan cord, throughout her bedroom, in Justin's bedroom area, on Justin's shoes, in a blue plastic tote, and on a blanket or sheet inside of that tote. Trista would tell the media that the police told her that they believe Ayla's body might have been wrapped in that sheet or blanket and then placed in the tote. Justin's sister Alicia and Justin's lawyer would combat this by saying that Ayla was really sick and throwing up that night. This was due to her being lactose intolerant. They say that's why so much blood was found in the home. This is a case of he said, she said, for sure, and we just don't know. Pictures of the blood found in the home were shown to Ayla's family, but never publicly published. So we don't know exactly how much blood was found where. Trista's side of the family would come out to say that the blood that they found was more than a small cut would produce. Justin wouldn't discuss the blood, only saying that if there was something to it, he probably wouldn't be a free man. Over the next few weeks, law enforcement would continue to push the idea that the three people in the home when Ayla went missing know more than they're saying. By February, Trista tells local reporters that she plans on suing the state for their failure to act on the many reports she made to social services about Ayla's welfare. That same month, Ayla's uncle, Lance DiPietro, was arrested for assaulting the father of Alicia DiPietro's child for allegedly continuing to speak about the family. Justin was allegedly at Lance's side while the assault occurred. Also in February, the DePetros would report that two of their windows were broken, but the culprit was never caught. Obviously, tensions were high, and people were downright pissed. After Ayla went missing, her step-grandfather on Trista's side, Jeff Hansen, created a few websites for her. By April of 2012, these websites had gotten over 1 million clicks. I have to say, for it being 2012 and having personally had a missing person site during this year, a million clicks is absolutely huge. And I do think it's a testament to how large Ayla's case was at this time. It wouldn't be long after hitting this milestone that we get another bombshell in this case. Around this time, Jeff tells the Rutland Daily Herald that Justin took out a $10,000 life insurance policy on Ayla, just three days before she was reported missing. This was confirmed to be true by Justin himself. I wasn't able to find any specific information as to whether or not Justin was paid out for this policy. But again, this just wasn't something I could ignore, you guys. On May 31st, nearly six months after Ayla went missing, a news conference was held to discuss the status of the case and to stress to the public that the $30,000 reward for information about Ayla expires in 30 days. Maine State Police spokesman Steve McCausland takes the lead. I too want to thank uh, John Nail and the Greater 
Waterville business community for putting forward this uh, reward money on the day after Christmas. It was generous and benevolent, and we are grateful for their help. And for someone who may be holding back information for whatever reason, there now is 30 days left to take advantage of this reward offer. But regardless of whether there is a reward or not, the work of Waterville and State Police to find little Ayla will continue. It has been 166 days since she was reported missing from her home here in Waterville, and the work, effort, and investigation goes on. There will be more searches, more dives, more interviews, and we are in this for the long haul. This case will never close until Ayla is found. Saying that, however, we want to be candid and upfront with the public who has followed this case intensively for the past five and a half months. Based on everything we know, the thousands of hours of investigation, the 1,127 leads that have come in and have been received and acted on, the searches, the dives, and the evidence gathered at this point, we think it is highly unlikely that Ayla Reynolds will be found alive. Nothing points in that direction. Before this uh, news conference, we called both the parents this morning to put them in the loop uh, because we wanted to make sure they heard it first uh, before we told the public. Steve then asks if anyone has any questions. Questions and answers will compose about 15 minutes of this 20-minute press conference. I'm going to play you some clips and summarize the key points made in this press conference. But if you want to watch the entire video for yourself, which I do highly recommend, or any of the other conferences I mention in this episode, you can find links at voicesforjusticepodcast.com under the Cases tab. But back to Steve. Why is it that you can't charge them with obstruction of justice? Again, the charging, uh, it is way pre, pre, it's way premature to start speculating on charging anyone. Our focus is to find Ayla, and therefore, at that point, we will take the case where it leads us. Uh, we have stated all along of the three individuals inside that home, uh, our stance has not changed. Uh, we feel that they, they know more than they've told us, and, um, uh, and nothing has changed since we talked about that a couple of months back. Suspects? I'm not talking about suspects. Marl Did you say whether you've not had, whether you've had any continued communication with Alicia or Courtney? Is there any discussions with them at all, or has communication been cut off? Communication, there really has been no change in the communication aspect. Uh, not a lot of communication between uh, the three that were in, the three adults that were inside that home uh, that night. What are the investigation that may hit a wall in terms of leads and clues and uh, just people calling with information? Uh, again, Steve, for your question, I didn't catch all of it. <clears throat> the leads are still coming in. Again, the, the number is 11, 1127, um, and um, those leads continue to come in. Um, uh, the investigators continue to get them. I continue to get them uh, through my email, and uh, they're all forwarded and they're all worked on. So the leads have come in, but again, because of the, the time span that has arrived, it's been five and a half months, the leads obviously are slower now than they were back in December and January. Go ahead. Did the amount of blood discovered at 29 Violet Avenue play into decision? Again, uh, that's, a, that's an investigative question. We're not going to get into specifics. Um, 
that we're not going to get into the specifics of that, of, of what was found and what, how that played in, in the decision that we've now arrived at and announcing today. It's a culmination of everything, the evidence, the searches, and, and the fact that it's been 166 days. It's far too early to talk about a cold case and you can get this. This is 166 days. Um, this isn't this isn't this isn't CSI where everything is solved in 60 minutes. It is uh, some cases take a great deal of time and effort. It's evident of what has taken place in this case over since um, December 17th, and this case will remain open and active until we find her. Steve, you believe she wasn't abducted. Um, do you also believe that is it still possible that you're looking at that she somehow left that home on her own? No, and, and Chief Massey in the first week um, talked about that, that uh, she did not leave that home on by herself. She's 20 months old. And she wasn't abducted. And, and she was not abducted. So you're really focusing on these three people in the house? They, have, they were the adults. They were there. Um, uh, that, um, and they may have answers. Justin, in his case, obviously is her father. Uh, she was in his custody. Um, and that... Um, we believe he knows more than he's told us, um, and um, and that has that is where we stand. That uh, there is, we think that he or the two others inside that home, or any others that are associated with that home, may have information that they just haven't told us. Can you share any of the conversation with the family, with the parents? Uh, uh, were they surprised to hear? This is the two parents this morning. Uh, the two parents were called uh, right around the noon hour. Uh, I, can, I can characterize that Trista was uh, understanding, as she has been uh, throughout this entire uh, ordeal, and uh, that um, she was thankful uh, for the call. Uh, Justin was also thankful for the information. Uh, his reaction uh, was no reaction. Ask him. Obviously, officials are keeping a lot of information about Ayla's case private. But in addition to what you heard, there were some other things mentioned during this press conference that I found to be interesting. Steve mentions that items from the home were still being analyzed. He reiterates that this is a criminal investigation, but still a missing persons case and not a homicide. He adds that Justin is free to leave the state as he pleases. And he says that they have no estimated cost for Ayla's case, but they will spend whatever it takes to find her. By December 2012, officials say that they followed up on leads from 40 different states, and that Ayla's case is now the largest missing persons case in state history. By this time, Trista has also moved to a smaller town outside of Portland, saying that the daily reminders of Ayla were just too much to bear. In January of 2013, Trista gets more information about the blood found in the home, and she's shown a map of where all the blood was found. Initially, her side of the family made a statement about the blood being more than you'd see in a normal small cut. After seeing this map, she told the Bangor Daily News, quote, It literally looked like a murder scene to me. I think just seeing her blood makes me wonder how much she suffered. Justin, Alicia, and Courtney are still walking the streets like nothing happened. After seeing the evidence, 
it started to settle in my mind that Ayla more than likely really is deceased and not coming back. I'm not able to close my eyes and not see her blood. Over the year, more searches would be performed, none of which were successful. By mid-September 2013, Trista announces that her relationship with investigators has deteriorated, and she barely hears from them anymore, so she's ready to make some waves in hopes of sparking a prosecution. And she certainly made some waves. Just about a week later, on September 25th, she publicly confronted both Justin and his mother, Phoebe. This is while Justin was at the courthouse for domestic abuse charges unrelated to Ayla's case. First, Trista and her father, Ron, confront Phoebe. Hi, my daughter's Ayla, you know, your granddaughter. Why don't you tell us what you did with her? Why don't you tell me? No, you know what, Phoebe? Do not no, me. tell me. No, you know, Phoebe, you tell Do me what you did with me, my Trista. daughter. You, tell me you what you did with my daughter. Trista. Tell us what you did with her. Stop. Really? Because she was in your house with Wait a minute, wait a minute. What Where is she, Phoebe? You don't even have. Let me go, Brian. Let me go. You don't even have the decency to look me in my face, Phoebe, and tell me what happened to my daughter. I'm a. And your son killed my granddaughter, and you have the gall and the decency. Hold on. No, you have the gall and the decency to get on me in the eyes as a mom. Then, Trista confronts Justin. Justin! Where is it? Justin! No, talk to me for a minute. Justin! I can see it in your eyes. No, no, that's the problem. You look at me and you're gonna... I know you care. Just say something, man. Please, Justin. Trista literally takes off her heels and chases Justin down the courthouse steps, screaming at him. The video then cuts to Trista's father, Ron Reynolds, and then back to Trista again. Justin, he's a murderer. He killed my granddaughter. All the evidence is right there in that house. With all the evidence that my daughter has come out and said, and probably more that the state police has, honestly, are we not supposed to feel like this? Are we not supposed to hurt every day? Every day. Every day. No, I want them to pay for what they did to Ayla. Like there, there is no reason for her to be taken from me. There, there is no reason for Ayla to be removed from my sister's care. There, there is no reason for any of it. Like, I, I just. So I, I don't, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, this should have never happened. This still shouldn't be going on because Ayla should still be with me. She was in a safe place, and Justin pulled a fast one. 
just like he's done with state police and the attorney general's office. He's outsmarted them. Like, who can outsmart the state police as the way Justin did? I didn't even think he was that talented. I imagine seeing this and even just hearing this might seem insane to some people. But I have to say that I completely understand being sick of the politics of a missing persons case and just wanting to confront the person who you think is responsible for your loved one being gone. In October, investigators would search a quarter-mile area in Oakland, but ultimately come up with nothing. In a press conference after the search, authorities would reiterate that this was just one of many planned searches. Steve McCausland again held back any information about the criminal investigation or plans for a prosecution. He mentions that this is their 20th search for Ayla and that they've received a total of 1,400 leads. In January 2014, a demonstration was held at the Waterville Police Department in hopes of creating pressure to make an arrest in the case. This was organized by a woman named Heather who saw Ayla's case on social media. She ended up driving 13 hours to Waterville to lead the demonstration. About 45 minutes into the demonstration, Trista did make an appearance as she handed out Dunkin' Donuts coffee and treats to demonstrators. The next year or so is pretty quiet in Ayla's case. In 2016, Crime Watch Daily confronted Alicia DiPietro, who was still living in the same home with Justin and Phoebe. She says that her family believes Ayla could still be alive somewhere. She also says that she's seen the pictures of the blood, but reiterates that it was from Ayla throwing up due to being lactose intolerant. She adds that there was no foul play in the home and that Justin is a good dad. In 2017, Trista had Ayla legally declared dead in order to move forward with a wrongful death suit against Justin. In December 2018, Trista and her lawyer hold a press conference to announce that they have filed the wrongful death suit. Trista's lawyer says that they've had a very difficult time serving Justin with this lawsuit. Justin now lives in Los Angeles, California, and when he was initially served, according to Trista's lawyer, he denied his identity. But the process server was armed with a picture of Justin and ended up serving him anyway. Justin didn't appear to contest the lawsuit and hadn't responded at all up to this point. When they tried to serve him again for this official filing, his last known address was the parking garage of a courthouse in Compton County. Essentially, Trista and this lawyer are now researching Ayla's case for themselves, independently of law enforcement. They have depositions from Courtney Roberts and Alicia DiPietro, but have yet to depose Justin. Both women were asked to take a polygraph test and declined. Trista's stepfather, Jeff, discusses how he set up a GoFundMe account to help with the expenses of the lawsuit and this independent investigation. At this conference, Trista also speaks for herself. And uh, if you could, Trista, introduce yourself, mm. please. Trista, Ayla's mom. Um, so today marks seven years since Ayla was taken from me. Not a day goes by that I am not haunted by what happened to Ayla. For seven years, I've asked myself who would want to hurt such an innocent little girl that was filled with so much spunk. Who would want... Uh, I asked myself, what could have Ayla done for Justin to do this to her? When did she really pass away? Was it the night of December 16th or was it the morning 
of December 16th, I mean December 17th, I asked myself, where could have Justin put Ayla's body? And my final question that I ask myself every day is, did Ayla cry out for me? Did she wonder where I was knowing I should have been there to protect her and save her? Or was she that strong girl and wondered why her daddy was doing this to her? I'm not a perfect parent, but who is? What I do know is I love my children and I will always be their voice. In the last seven years, I have found, I have fought to get Ayla closure. And maybe this is, and maybe I finally get to lay her to rest. As we hit Ayla's anniversary, I wonder if this is haunting you, Justin. I wonder if our daughter haunts your dreams or if you see her blue eyes when you close your eyes at night. I wonder if you even think about that night, that night you murdered her, murdered our daughter and took her life from her. We both know your story of Ayla being abducted is not real. So why not be the voice for our daughter and tell me the truth? It's funny, you run and you hide from, from what you did to our little blue-eyed hair girl that you once called Princess. Justin, I promise you, wherever you are, one day you will have to face me and tell me the truth about what really happened to Ayla. That night, you can't hide from this forever. Eventually, it will eat at you, and I know I will get justice for Ayla, and I won't stop fighting for justice. I'll live inside a courtroom till the day I get my justice for her. Thank you very much, Krista. Well done. While taking questions at the end, it's revealed that Trista hasn't heard from Justin in six years. They add that they will move forward with serving Justin by publication if necessary. It seems like they still had a really hard time finding Justin, because on March 12th, 2019, Trista makes a desperate plea to find him on her Facebook page. Quote, I've got five days to find Justin to have him served. Justice for Ayla. Please, anyone who has information about Justin and his whereabouts, please say something. Please, I'm begging you. Ayla deserves justice. Her post actually goes pretty viral. To this day, it has over a thousand comments and over 20,000 shares. Trista is ultimately granted another 60 days to find Justin. But on May 16th, Justin finally responds to the wrongful death lawsuit in court. We don't have access to that paperwork. But Justin's lawyer would defend his client by stating, quote, He had nothing to do with her disappearance or death. He's given many hours of statements to police. He did cooperate. His story has been consistent throughout. He had nothing to do with her disappearance. He obviously struggles with this every single day, as every parent of a child that has been harmed or disappears would naturally feel. Around this time, Trista sits down with the Bangor Daily News to discuss where she's at with Ayla's case and the wrongful death suit. I have hope, but I don't have hope of her coming home and I don't have hope of finding her body, but I have hope of getting her justice, and I have hope of the people being prosecuted for what they've done. Well, I think it would be important to any parent to have justice for their child, but also to see the people who had something to do with whatever happened you know, get prosecuted. and. I think that if we go about it this way, that maybe it will also help 
state police's case as well, and then we can get Justin and Alicia and Courtney prosecuted for everything. And it's just important because I'm her only voice. This is pretty much where Ayla's case is today. We don't know what happened to Ayla. But we do know that law enforcement has ruled out the possibility that she was abducted or wandered away from the home. They have also been extremely transparent with the fact that they believe foul play occurred in that home. And that Justin, Courtney, and Alicia may have more information than they're sharing. If we're to believe Trista, they've even gone as far as telling her that Ayla most likely passed away in some fashion was then wrapped in a sheet or blanket, and then placed into a blue plastic tote. It looks to me like we either need someone that was inside or associated with that home to come forward, need to discover new information, or we need the district attorney to move forward with charges on what they already have. Which brings me right to our call to action. There are a lot of ways you can help Ayla's case. First, please donate or share the family's GoFundMe. In these wrongful death suits, a lot of information can be gathered that might not come out otherwise. The link for the GoFundMe will be in the description of this episode, as well as on VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. Next, our easiest and most common call to action is please just share Ayla's picture and her story in hopes of generating new leads. And of course, if you personally have any information about Ayla, please call the Maine State Police Major Crimes Unit at 207-624-7143. Last, call me crazy, but I think putting pressure on the authorities to finally make an arrest in this case could be beneficial. I know they say they don't have enough evidence to prosecute, but I have to say, I've heard that before. If you feel like there is enough evidence in this case to make an arrest, I highly encourage you to reach out to District Attorney Megan Maloney and just let her know what you think. Of course, in a very polite manner, please. She can be reached at 207-623-1156 or at contact at k-e-n-n-e-b-e-c-d-a dot com. This method has not only gotten results in my sister Alyssa's case, but literally two other cases covered here on Voices for Justice just this year. Those are the cases of Jessica Easterly and Jacob Lundine. So don't tell me there's no hope, because there truly is. It sounds like Ayla's case just needs a little help. As a reminder, Ayla Reynolds was 20 months old when she went missing. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. At the time she went missing, she was about 2 feet 9 inches tall and weighed approximately 30 pounds. She was wearing green onesie pajamas with white polka dots and the words Daddy's Princess written across the front. But, as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice. 